This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. This episode contains explicit language. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. It never ceases to amaze me to what lengths people will go to portray themselves as someone other than who they really are. The motivations are varied to gain attention, to appear successful, for financial gain, or to create a new identity in order to leave an old life behind are but a few. Sometimes the planning and detail that go into these deceptions is astounding. Other times, some get away with their lies simply because no one asked many questions and just took them at face value. In this series, Fakes, Frauds, and Liars, I'll share some fascinating cases of deception that crossed over into criminal activity. In Chapter 1, we go to Australia, where I'll tell you the story about a woman who had an incredible story of perseverance in the face of overwhelming odds, only to discover that it was all a lie. This is the case of Belle Gibson. The internet, and social media in particular, have changed the way we live in more ways than you can probably imagine. Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat are fun ways to keep in touch with family, friends, and acquaintances. People tend to share everything from the mundane, such as what they had for lunch, to the more personal and profound, such as death, divorce, and illnesses. But what we need to remember is that we can't always trust the information we receive by social media to be accurate. First of all, we're often only getting one person's perspective. So if they're recounting relationship issues and we're commiserating with a friend about their horrible partner, who's to say that your friend didn't contribute just as much to a crappy relationship? But more often than not, we'll take the friend's side and offer sympathy and support. That's what friends are for, right? So when someone shares with us over social media an illness they may be challenged with, our first instinct is to first share our concern for them and next to offer any help or support we might be able to give. This is one of the nice things about social media. We can be there for them even if we're not close by. We can keep up with their progress, offer emotional support, or even financial assistance by contributing to a GoFundMe or other type of online account should they need money for medical treatments or living expenses. Our instinct is not to ask for their medical records, verification from their doctors or from family to investigate whether they are really ill or not. But how do we know for sure that what is being shared with us is actually true? At the very least, some may exaggerate an illness to gain sympathy. Or in very extreme cases, they may bald-faced lie about their diagnosis for some other bizarre reason entirely. This case is about the latter. Belle Gibson was addicted to her computer, her mother says. She used to fall asleep with it. She was always on Facebook, always online. But that world is not real, Natalie Dalbella would say. It's not healthy. Belle was born Annabelle Natalie Gibson in 1991 in Tasmania to Natalie and a man who Natalie simply calls a sperm donor. Belle would leave home under unclear circumstances when she was only 12 years old. She would report that she first went to live with a classmate and then with a family friend. Belle's mother and brother say that she met a man while she was still in grade school and went to live with him, a man in his 60s. Belle attended Wynnum State High School in Brisbane and dropped out at age 16. She worked for a catering supply company in Queensland, where co-workers remember her as a lost soul. 
She didn't have any family or friends, they said, and would just hang on people she met at work. She would come out with some very vivid stories that they didn't quite believe. She was always a bit out there, one co-worker recalled. She was a bit disturbed. Early on, she began blogging the details of her life. This created a platform for her to share her stories, which, of course, were created by her and could not be verified. In 2008, she moved to Perth and immersed herself in the skateboarding scene. She spent a lot of time in online skateboarding forums during that time. In 2009, she posted on one of these forums that she had undergone heart surgery. She wrote that during the surgery, she had died for three minutes on the operating table. The doctor comes in and tells me the draining failed, and I went into cardiac arrest and died for just under three minutes, she wrote. I have the most intense bruising from the paddles when they electrocuted me back into consciousness. They're amazed I'm sitting up testing already and claim miracle. She's not the best writer, and some of her syntax and word structure is confusing. But you get the gist. Later that year, she would report that she had been given the Gardasil cervical cancer vaccine and suffered an adverse reaction afterwards. She suffered from headaches, blurred vision, and slurred speech. She would go so far as to say she suffered a stroke. She saw a doctor who prescribed her antidepressants. During this time, 17-year-old Belle was working at the call center of the private health insurer HBF. There she would take down information from callers about their ailments, including symptoms, diagnoses, and treatments they'd undergone. Some would later wonder whether this didn't feed her imagination, or at least provide her with medical information she would use later. Bell became more active on anti-vaccination blogs and forums, and met other anti-vaccine campaigners. In 2009, she claims to have been introduced to a Dr. Mark Johns, a neurologist and immunologist from Melbourne's Peter McCallum Cancer Center. He was conducting top-secret research on the Gardasil vaccine. He invited her to join his research. Bell says he brought a machine to her home, which was, quote, like an old-fashioned hard drive with lights and metal sheets that you sat on. He used this for both diagnosis and treatment. Not long after beginning treatment with Dr. Johns, Bell moved to Melbourne. She needed to be closer to the doctor, since he had now given her some terrible news. She was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer and was given only four months to live. Bell Gibson began telling people in mid-2009 that she had terminal brain cancer and her prospects were dire. In 2010, she gave birth to her son, Oliver. The baby's father was her then-boyfriend, Nathan Corbett. But the story really begins in May of 2013. That was the month that Bell Gibson made her debut on Instagram, where she told the world that she had healed herself of her fatal cancer diagnosis through healthy eating and natural therapies. And she did look healthy. Pictures of Belle posted on Instagram show a fresh-faced young girl with dark brown eyes, porcelain skin, and long sandy brown hair. She looks like a tanned and healthy surfer or runner or a yoga aficionado. Her posts are pictures of her looking great, as well as pictures of her all-natural smoothies and organic meals she was preparing and eating. Using the power of fruits and vegetables, Ayurvedic practices, craniosacral therapy, colonic irrigations, and a controversial treatment called Gerson therapy, healing the body through total commitment to a plant-based diet, raw juices, and coffee enemas, Bell claimed that her condition was stable for two years with no growth of the cancer. 
she quickly began to amass thousands of followers to her Instagram and Facebook pages. Bell claimed that when first diagnosed, she began radiation and chemotherapy treatments, but quit them after eight weeks, deciding to try natural therapies instead. She said she cut gluten and dairy out of her diet and started oxygen therapy and craniosacral treatments, a hands-on technique that is said to gently release tensions located deep within the body to relieve pain and provide other health benefits. As she began to gain followers, who many of which were also suffering from serious illnesses, she shared her story. She told followers she had become ill after receiving the Gardasil vaccine, and she shared her belief that vaccines were dangerous and that the government-supported idea that all children and young adults should receive them was wrong. She shared her diet and therapy practices with others, who naturally were hopeful that Bell's care could work for them or their ill loved ones as well. Three months later, in August, Bell launched an app. The Whole Pantry app advocated Bell's regimen of healthy eating for total healing and wellness. The app could be downloaded for $3.79 and provided healthy living tips and recipes. Within the first month, there were over 200,000 downloads of the Whole Pantry app. Bell promised to donate a third of the proceeds of the 300,000 downloads she eventually sold to charity. It was voted Apple's best food and drink app of 2013. Bell's star was on the rise now, and it all happened very quickly. She was interviewed for top national women's magazines, newspapers, and other media outlets. Everyone was becoming familiar with the name Bell Gibson and saw her as an inspiration and a role model for healthy living and victory over adversity. Soon after the launch of the app, she was offered a book deal with Penguin Publishers Australia for an accompanying cookbook. The Whole Pantry Cookbook was published in Australia in October of 2014 and was picked up by Simon & Schuster to be published in the U.S. and Europe. Apple was planning to include the Whole Pantry app as a pre-installed app in its new Apple Watch. The launch was scheduled for April 2015. Apple made the announcement in November 2014. Also in November, Bell was awarded Cosmopolitan Magazine's Fun Fearless Female Award in the social media category. By early 2015, it was estimated that the sales from both the app and the Whole Pantry Cookbook was in excess of $1 million. When the book was released in November 2014, Bell wrote in the preface that her cancer was in remission due to her health and wellness regimen. So it was confusing and alarming when after returning from the U.S. to meet with Apple and the U.S. publishers, she reported that she'd become very ill. She told her followers that she was seeking additional treatment from someone named Phil. Not long after she began treatment with this Dr. Phil, I can't really say that without chuckling, so I'll just call him Phil. She posted on her Facebook page that the cancer had returned and had spread to her blood, spleen, brain, and uterus. Three months later, she announced to media outlets that it had also spread to her liver and kidneys. How do you say goodbye to your own child, she wrote. Her son was now four years old. Her followers were devastated, and there was an outpouring of support for Bell. But two things happened almost simultaneously immediately around the time of these announcements. First, $300,000 of the proceeds that were marked for charity were never received. Two charities reported to the media that Gibson's company had used their names in their fundraising drives, but she had failed to deliver the donations. She had been claiming in 2013 and 2014 that donations had been made to charities that were involved in maternal health care in developing countries, medical support for children with cancer, 
and funding schools in sub-Saharan Africa. In late 2014, when the announcement was made that the Whole Pantry app would be pre-installed on Apple's iPads, she claimed that her company was working with over 20 different charities. Second, Elle magazine, who had featured Bell Gibson's story, received the following email. It has come to my attention that you have published a story about a girl I have known my whole life. Her name is Belle Gibson, creator of the Whole Pantry app and book, and a so-called terminal cancer patient. Unfortunately, there are a few things you might need to know before you consider publishing more about this woman. She is a compulsive liar. In fact, she got so tangled in her own web of lies living in Brisbane, she moved to Melbourne to start a new life of lies, the cancer lie this time. For one, this girl isn't 26 years old. She was born in 1991. Secondly, she never had, nor does she have currently, any form of cancer. Where's the proof? I've known Belle since her childhood, and I'm close with her mother, and she has always had a problem fabricating stories from nothing on a regular basis. It's one thing to act as if she can cure her cancer by eating organic, but to give false hope to people who are actually fighting cancer is nothing short of evil. You must be aware of this before you publish stories about this woman. She is selling her fake sob story in order to profit from her app and book sales. She is a wolf in sheep's clothing and a master manipulator. It was signed, Sick of Seeing Her Lies Published. Elle magazine tried to verify the claims, but didn't find anything from the few blog posts they checked that amounted to anything, so they could neither confirm nor deny the writer's claims. They figured it was just someone who was trying to discredit Bell out of malice or jealousy and let it go. The letter was also sent to Cosmopolitan magazine, but they would say they never considered the letter to be credible. Nobody would lie about cancer, they thought. They dismissed it as well. Penguin published her book without requiring any proof that she had actually been ill and or cured by her healthy eating habits. This was a cookbook, they explained, and the only mention of her illness and cure was in the preface. They said they took her claims on good faith. What would begin to unravel her web of lies and deceit would be the unmade charitable donations. Bell Gibson's fall was as swift as her initial rise had been. On March 8, 2015, a news article was published about the whole pantry's failure to make good on its promises to charities. The next day, other papers picked up the story and began to report doubts about Bell's cancer diagnosis. On March 12th, Bell's personal information and life history posts were removed from her Instagram and Facebook pages. Bell now seemed to be trying to cover her tracks. Less than a week later, Apple withdrew her app from its store and the Apple Watch showcase. It was determined that only 7,000 of the promised 300,000 had been awarded to a total of three charities, and $1,000 of that was only distributed after Gibson became aware of the investigation into her earlier claims. Also in March, a family of a child who was diagnosed with a rare brain cancer came forward to report that they had recently discovered that Gibson claimed to be fundraising for their son's medical treatment. They had never received any funds from her or from Whole Pantry. She had been in close communication with the family, and now they believed she may have been gathering information about their child's illness in order to add credence to her own supposed diagnosis. Now investigations into Bell Gibson and the Whole Pantry Corporation began in earnest. They could find no evidence of a recorded medical diagnosis of cancer, her reported heart surgeries, 
nor of Bell ever having a stroke. Dr. Mark Johns, who she claimed first diagnosed her in 2009, had never existed. The McCallum Cancer Center had never heard of him, and there was no Dr. Mark Johns registered with the Australian Health Practitioner Registry. There was a Dr. Phil, who records would show, billed her for just under $9,000 for varied spurious health treatments. But that was the extent of Bell's medical treatment. There was no recorded diagnosis in any medical records of any illness beyond a slight heart condition Bell had since she was a child. Bell would continue to assert that Phil told her she had cancer and she had believed him. There also began to be scrutiny, finally, applied to her claims of an organic raw diet working as a cure for any number of serious illnesses. While the claim that exercise, healthy eating, and a positive mindset were conducive to good health was all well and good, the more controversial claims that alternative health practices alone were enough to cure cancer were not only misleading, but dangerous. One of the treatments Gibson recommended was Gerson therapy. Another well-known Australian wellness blogger, Jessica Ainsco, also advocated Gerson as the cure. She died at the age of 29 of cancer. Gibson attended her funeral. Her push to have people forego immunizations was especially problematic for public health officials. Parents are penalized by the Australian government for not vaccinating their children. They can be denied access to welfare and other benefits. As well, drinking raw milk, another practice Bell was an advocate for, was not recommended for young children. In 2014, four children under the age of five became ill after drinking unpasteurized milk, and a three-year-old child died. In March 2015, Penguin withdrew the whole pantry cookbook from sale. Penguin Australia agreed to pay $30,000 to the Victorian Consumer Law Fund as a penalty for failing to validate the factual content of the book. Finally, a research professional from the Garvin Institute of Medical Research went public to say that by failing to do basic fact checks and providing unfiltered PR to Gibson's claims, the media had been complicit in her scam. In April 2015, Belle Gibson gave an interview to the Australian Women's Weekly. In it, she admitted to fabricating all her claims of having terminal cancer. She began the interview by saying, I am still jumping between what I think I know and what is reality. I have lived it, and I'm not really there yet. By there, I assume she means completely honest. Her news story was being managed by a corporate advisory firm, and her answers were carefully constructed to deflect blame away from herself. The advisory firm also arranged for her to be seen by a psychologist. The Weekly simply wanted her to answer the question, had she or had she not ever had cancer? No, she answered, none of it is true. However, she would go on to say that she was duped by two men, her two doctors, one of whom, as I told you, never existed, and the other practitioner, let's not call him doctor anymore, Phil, who told her she maintains that she had terminal cancer. So she would have us believe that she was convinced she had terminal cancer for five years, without a documented diagnosis, without symptoms of the illness, and just took this guy Phil's word as gospel? I'll just say it. Right. She also would go on to explain that the reason she could be duped like this was because she had no family to guide her. 
Belle paints this picture of her childhood and early life. She never knew her father, and her mother suffered from multiple sclerosis and chronic fatigue. Because of this, she shouldered a big responsibility. She'd had to care for her mother, as well as her autistic brother, when she was a child. When she was only five years old and starting school, she said her mother considered her grown up and left her to fend for herself and the family. She was left to walk to school on her own, make school lunches, clean the house, do laundry, grocery shop, and arrange medical appointments. She didn't have any toys, she claimed. During an interview with Tara Brown of 60 Minutes Australia, she would break down in tears when speaking of herself, but when asked about those who had been deceived and perhaps harmed by her false claims, she deflects and doesn't appear to show any genuine emotion or remorse. For many, she was the wellness warrior. Her good health was the great hope for her followers, especially those battling cancer themselves. What is really worrying is how many of them may have given up conventional treatment to follow Belle's alternative path. Again, Belle tries to dodge her responsibility. I was not an expert in anyone else's health. Excuse me, excuse me, but don't be naive now. I mean, you are appealing to an incredibly vulnerable audience, incredibly vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. You have a responsibility to make sure your story is right. I'm not trying to get away with anything. I'm not trying to smooth over anything. It's not easy for me to be here. It's not easy for me to relive and relive and relive detail. How do you think it is for the people who followed you, Mm -hmm. whose heart went out to you when you wrote about how unwell you were, how well you were, your, your progress, your decline? These people who cried for you. Have you thought about them? I know you sit here and tell me how you feel. Have you thought about how they're feeling at the moment? In the same way I just said, I put them in my shoes and I know that they're feeling the same way I feel. Some of them want you to go to jail. That's how they feel. I know that they feel that way. I've seen the emails. I've seen some of the comments. I'm on the receiving end of all of that, Tara. And I take responsibility for how this has unfolded. Do you take responsibility for driving any people away from conventional medicine in seeking treatment for their cancer? That would be really heartbreaking to me because I never intended on doing that. Do you accept that that's what you might have done? I accept that might have happened. She had become the most hated woman in the country, she told The Weekly. She receives hate mail and death threats on a daily basis. Several of her friends and supporters during the time she claimed to be ill came forward and told the Weekly that they sometimes stayed with her around the clock when she'd claimed to have seizures and other serious symptoms. They were understandably angry when someone they thought was a friend and in need of their help had been lying to them the whole time. How was she planning to have these lies play out, she was asked. Her so-called diagnosis was bleak. Was she going to pretend to have succumbed to her illness and disappear? Or did she even think that far ahead? She claims that she was preparing to go public with the truth when the scandal broke. It was terrible timing, she says, because now it looks like we're on the defense. Of course, this is easy to say and impossible to prove. A month later, Bell's mother came forward with her own version of events. Natalie Del Bello was offered a follow-up interview by The Weekly. In her interview, she strongly refutes her daughter's version of her life story. 
Diabello was deeply hurt and incredibly upset at her daughter's claims, as well as her unwillingness to offer an apology to those she had duped. Natalie, 51, said Bell had broken off contact with her four years earlier, and she had no idea about her daughter's success as a wellness entrepreneur. The first she'd heard of the story was when the news of the scandal hit the media, and Bell's grandmother, who lives in Melbourne, saw the reports and called Natalie. Natalie then read the interview in the weekly and called to set the record straight. First of all, she said, I can't tell you how embarrassed we are about what she has done, and we sincerely wish to apologize to anyone who was deceived by Bell. Second, Bell's account of her childhood is false. It's a lot of rubbish, Natalie says. Yes, Natalie confirmed that she does have multiple sclerosis, but Bell never took care of her, nor does she have a brother who is autistic. She's barely done a minute's housework in her life, her mother scoffed. She went on to say that she was the one who worked hard to give Belle everything she needed and wanted. She paid for her daughter's frequent moves, phone bills, clothes, and necessities for her grandson, Belle's son, Ollie. She even purchased Belle's computer for her. She went on to say, She's just a girl who always had ideas above her station. She was never happy with what she had and embarrassed by her family. Her tastes have become more and more expensive, and she was living beyond her means. She was addicted to her computer, Natalie says, always on it, day and night. Bell's older brother, Nick, also spoke to the Weekly. He does not have autism and said he was, quote, disgusted with Bell and what she's done. It's about attention. She's always been like this, he said. Even her reported age was a lie. She was claiming to be 26 years old when she was actually three years younger. But when Bell said her childhood was complicated... That, perhaps, was the one thing that was not a lie. Her mother does corroborate her claim that Belle didn't know her father, her family frequently moved, and there were many family dramas, including an on-and-off-again stepfather. At first, Natalie would report that her current husband, Andrew, was Belle's father, who she had reunited with and then remarried. Later, she would recant and admit that he was not Belle's biological father. Finally, Belle's mother says... She's got to look inside her own soul and spend the next two years doing nothing but charity work for cancer victims. So what can we make of this strange story? What causes a person to lie and deceive in such a major way? What's the cause? What's the motivation? To attempt to answer these questions, we need to understand the psychology behind this behavior. First, we have to define it. Some get this type of behavior confused with Munchausen syndrome. While it has some of the same earmarks, feigned illness to receive attention or other gain, those who are diagnosed with Munchausen's inflict physical harm on themselves by making themselves ill or in some other way. When a person falsely claims to be sick without causing an actual illness, it's placed under the broader category of factitious disorder. Factitious disorder is defined as the intentional feigning of disease in order to assume the role of a sick person. Another category of this type of behavior is malingering. Malingering is distinguished from factitious disorder in that the person faking the illness does so motivated by external incentives, money, drugs, or evading work or criminal responsibility, or a few such incentives. In Bell's case, factitious disorder and malingering can overlap. This frequently happens with factitious disorder. Listen to the Lori Williamson episode for another example of this. 
It seems as though, initially, Bell was not seeking external rewards, but merely attention. But her claims of healing took her down another path when truly ill people were clamoring for her reported miracle cure. It then became much bigger than she perhaps ever considered. However, once the money began to flow her way, she did not refuse it, and so became guilty of fraud. As well, it was fairly easy to feign an illness because most of her followers never met or saw her in real life. It's much more difficult when you have to pretend to be sick all the time and in front of people. However, online, you can claim to be anyone or anything, even a cancer patient, much more easily. Dr. Mark Feldman, a clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Alabama, coined the term Munchausen's by Internet in the year 2000. MBI happens when a person creates a deception of illness online, or the internet propels their false claims of illness to another level. So, what causes a person to create such a persona online? Theories abound, and this behavior is still being studied. Some believe that childhood deprivation or trauma may be one factor. People with factitious disorders tend to have high IQs. They need to understand, at least generally, symptoms, causes, and treatments for the illnesses they claim to have. Up to half of those with factitious disorders are diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and over one-third are diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. These personality disorders are marked by disregard for and violation of the rights of others, deceitfulness, manipulation, and lack of remorse. As for Belle Gibson, Dr. Feldman remarks, My sense is that she was particularly predatory in her behavior. She is more sociopathic than most MBI patients. There are some clues that Bell began to display this behavior very early in her life. While in high school, classmates report that she told a boyfriend she had cancer as a way to stop him from breaking up with her. It's very probable that Bell had a chaotic childhood with not much stability provided from a single mother who was trying to provide for her two children alone and perhaps also searching for a new husband at the same time. Living on limited finances often causes people to move frequently either for another job or cheaper housing or both. Belle and her mother report this to be true. It was also said that as a child, she did not have many friends, something that is difficult to do when you move frequently while young. As a result, she reportedly changed her appearance, behavior, and activities in order to fit in and to be accepted. She was called a hanger-on, and eventually she found a group to become a part of when she became connected to the skateboarding scene. When a young person doesn't form a stable identity, in other words, a strong sense of self, they crave external validation at a more profound level. Perhaps Bell saw that those with serious illnesses received more attention and caring from others, and this became attractive to her. So she created an identity where she played the sick role. However, she did not realize that it would take on a life of its own one that thrust her into the limelight and ultimately would cause her to be found out. It's ironic because she was obviously a bright girl. She was able to create an app to share her healthy lifestyle program with the world. If she had only made that her goal, to introduce an alternative wellness lifestyle to help people become healthier through exercise and nutrition without the false claims of being healed from cancer, she could have become a success and actually created something truly good. Instead, she cruelly created false hopes in those who were suffering from real illnesses, and even worse,
possibly caused harm to some who took her advice over that of medical professionals. How many may have become seriously ill as a result is unknown. In a strange twist, Bell herself made the following post three years before the public was made aware of her lies. Either she has zero self-awareness and cannot see the colossal irony of this statement, or it came from her subconscious, a way for reality to present itself, just for a moment, where she could share her true self. You have serious mental health issues, she wrote. If you conjure up lies, situations, health issues, struggles, or add in unreasonable amounts of detail to keep things interesting, make it your way of creating interaction, or to satisfy and keep up all the other lies you've told, grow up, calm down, live simply. She ended with, shut the fuck up and be normal, in other words. Touché. No criminal charges were filed against Belle Gibson, but Consumer Affairs Victoria brought legal action against her for allegedly breaking Australian consumer law. On March 15, 2017, the federal court found that Gibson's claims had been misleading and deceptive, and that, quote, Ms. Gibson had no reasonable basis to believe she had cancer from the time she began making these claims in public to promote the whole pantry book and the apps in mid-2013. But the court found there was not enough evidence that she acted unconscionably. She may have suffered a, quote, series of delusions about her health condition, the judge ruled. In September 2017, Belle Gibson was fined 410000 Australian dollars for making false claims about her donations to charity. She had faced up to a $1.1 million fine. Because her company is currently being liquidated, it is unlikely she will ever pay. However, Belle Gibson has reportedly not given up on promoting wellness products and making claims about their benefits. She recently posted reviews about a new fasting program called the Master Fast System, which she claims has cured cavities in her teeth and reduced the size of her tonsils. That will do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. Don't forget that you can become a supporter on Patreon for updates and bonus content. I will be doing a bonus episode at the end of each series to share with you more details that I was not able to fit into the regular release episodes. First up is an episode about our last series, with friends like these, where I give you some more information on the Kirsten Costas, Bobby Kent, Doe Roberts, and Christine Paolilla cases. Go to patreon.com and pledge as little as $2 per month for bonus discussion episodes. Before we end, I wanted to acknowledge all that has happened in the last few weeks, and I know that many of you or your families or loved ones may be affected by these events. Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, and Hurricane Maria brought devastating floods to Texas, the Caribbean, Florida, and Puerto Rico. Then the earthquake in Mexico City, and most recently, the mass shooting in Las Vegas. It feels like one terrible news day after another. Any and all of you affected by these events are in our thoughts, and I encourage everyone to help in whatever way possible, big or small. I've included some places where you can donate funds to help the victims, and I have pledged money myself and will continue to do so as I can. We're stronger together, and by working in unity, we can get through anything. Please reach out to others, even if it's just with a kind word or a hug. It really does help. Make it your goal for the rest of this year to be more thoughtful, kinder, and more generous to your neighbors or coworkers. You never know what someone's going through, and a kind word or act could make a real difference to them. 
We've had some tough times, but as they say, this too shall pass. I wish you love, peace, and a safer tomorrow. Until next time, be good to one another. <laughs>